Well, we've got our favourite convenient vegan with us, Brent. He's back on the show again this week. Hey, Brent, how are you? Hello. Good to be here in studio to join you two. The convenient vegan. That's a great brand. Can I get like a sticker or name tag or something? You better go get the Twitter account quick. Ooh. <laughs> we've been doing all kinds of projects this week, Alex. So we'll get into some of that in a little bit. That's what happens when you've got a Brent around, you know, Project City. Alex knows that too yep. well, I think. We've got a, a Brent. We might not have DHCP, DNS, or a firewall, but we've got a Brent. So, oh, what did you do, Brent? <laughs> well, I didn't intentionally do such things. It turns out, you know, we had a great meal last night, and um, then I got inspired. And I thought I would continue the electrical projects that I've been doing, mostly focused in the garage. Sure. And that went fine, and I didn't have to ruin too many things. But then I got extra inspired at about 12.30 at night, and I thought... Uh, oh, never start a project after midnight. <laughs> it wasn't starting, right? It was just... Continuing? Extending? Resuming? Resuming? And it was an easy one. It was just... Okay. There's a bathroom that just needed a switch changed. That's very easy. How hard could it be? Could be super easy. If it starts and with the phrase, I just need to change a switch. It'll only take about five minutes, I thought. Yeah. About a five-minute job. And so, you know, as I do, I turn the power off at the main panel because I'd like to be safe. And um, I knew it was probably the one labeled living room lights, which it was, turned out. And uh, so I did all my switching, and I didn't fix the problem, so I just kind of gave up and went to bed. And then I got woken up quite early by a Chris <laughs> frantically going back and forth to the garage trying to discover, I'm not sure, what, what are you, what? Oh, well, so it was, a, it was one of those things where, you know, uh, I come in, right, to the studio, I make myself a little snack, I'm taking my time, I come in here to the, to the actual studio portion of the studio, and I'm like, well, let's get the machines going, because i got a show in an hour. And um, so I start rebooting things, and I go to load up one of the, oh, I go to load up the home assistant page, so wow. I can turn on the lights. And the home assistant page doesn't load. <laughs> what? Server can't be found. What are you talking about? And then I'm looking around and I realize, hey, that device says it's offline. Hey, that's disconnected over here. What's going on? The oh, Wi-Fi no. is not online. And then when I realized, that's when it clicked, when I realized the Wi-Fi access point was powered off. And I, because I know where that's plugged in at. And so I thought the power must be cut out there. But then you like start doing the math. And that means, well, that also means the switch is off out there. That means the... Network is down. <laughs> that means the node for boost is offline. Oh, that no. means the home assistant oh, instance is offline. Oh, I see. Yeah. I was just testing your resilience, uh, right. network resilience. I mean, for whatever reason, you know, the patch panel has a an AC outlet in it very conveniently, and it's connected to the living room light circuit. Which is literally the opposite end of the house. Yeah. It's in the garage at the other corner of the house. As far away as possible. <laughs> and it's on the living room lights circuit, which how would we even know that unless we turned it off and found out that stuff was off? And of course, Brent's the only one here at night. It's after midnight. He doesn't notice. He goes to bed. And then I come in in the morning and I start putting it together pretty quick. And uh, yeah, I made two mistakes. One, well, let, let's say at least three. One was starting a project way too late at night. Uh, number two was forgetting to turn that breaker on after I concluded the project. And number three was not investigating the fact that I realized the Wi-Fi wasn't connecting to my phone sure. as I was like crawling into bed. You're thinking, oh, this dumb phone. Well, it's been happening all week and I meant to tell you about it. I, I think it's unrelated. But um, so I just left the problem for you in the morning, I guess. <laughs> it is unbelievable just how much is connected to a DNS issue. Oh, yeah. Like when one one service goes down, how it can just break everything. And I think I said it last episode that networking stuff is just brutal. You can't ignore it because if the basics aren't working, nothing else is working. Literally nothing. Yeah. And it actually been... A little while since I had done the inventory of what fully breaks if the studio loses internet, right? Because like my threat model for the node so far has been we disconnect power to it and that takes our node down. Yeah, we did that the other day. We've done it a few times for different projects or we have to turn off power to the servers. But I haven't really thought about what happens if my business Comcast line goes out mm. because it's been, I have to say, at least it's been reliable. It hasn't been super fast, but it's been pretty much 100% reliable. Okay. 
with maybe some packet loss every now and then. And so I don't think about it very often. And it made me think, oh, maybe I don't want some of that stuff here. Just, you know, every now and then you, you kind of reevaluate what am I hosting here on premise and what would make sense to take off premise. And if it's for continuity of business, it might make sense to have it off premise or have some sort of caching proxy mechanism in place for that device. Or like Alex mentioned, last self hosted a, uh, another internet source that you can fall back to. Ooh, yeah. 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 yeah like, a, like a cellular connection or a Starlink connection or something like that. I saw they've announced a, a new DC Starlink power supply. Finally. Yeah. I thought that Oof. might be of interest to you. Yeah, because, you know, you're losing 20, 30% in the conversion with the inverter. So it actually really adds up if it's something you're running all the time. So that's really nice to see. You know, you, you mentioned uh, how critical networking was, Alex. And I was thinking, this is so true, too, for when we go to events, when we're on location oh, yeah. or when we're traveling. Like, that Starlink's a big game changer for that. Yeah. But it also made me think of some crazy times we have had over the years trying to get our broadcast equipment work from like Linux Fest Northwest or other events. Speaking of, it was the big 500 for Linux Unplugged this week. Congrats, gentlemen. Congrats. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Gosh, how, so how, how old is the show now? It must be nearly 10 years old, right? Rounding the corner to 10. My goodness. That is, I, that can't, it's not, it can't be possible. I can't even believe it. You know what also that means, Alex, which is also for the, for the long timers. It means that, uh, LUP, is officially older and running longer than Linux Action Show, at least when it's 10 years. Uh, but at, in terms of episode count, it's older than Linux Action Show now. I found an old last sticker uh, in a drawer, and it ended in 2017. I don't know how that's possible. That's, wow. That's wow. crazy. Wow. Anyway, the big news in LUP 500, for those that aren't aware, is Jupiter Broadcasting are working with the Linux Fest Northwest organization crew. You know, I think he's intertwined himself as part of the organization there uh, to, to bring Linux Fest Northwest back from the dead. Yeah. This is the conference. Uh, is established in 2000. And I remember that first year I went, I went with my high school teacher just to kind of just figure out what was hot and new. I, I learned about MySQL from uh, this conference, which is crazy. <laughs> and then later I got to talk to the one of the core developers of MySQL at this conference. It's it's a super high signal conference because it's put on genuinely by a community. It's not a corporate event in any way. Mm -hmm. And so it draws the doers, the developers, the creators of these projects and not the salespeople. And there's so many events you go to where you interface. If you go to a booth or you go to a, to a session, like you can't, they can't answer any questions. It's all managed. It just doesn't have that vibe at Linux. Would you like a sticker though? Yeah, I would like a sticker. Or a yeah. pen. Yes, I would like, yes, I like all the swag, yes. <laughs> yeah, we're going to have uh, we're gonna have a booth. I've invited our buddy Noah to join us, too, so Lovely. I think it'll be like an Ask Noah uh, combo uh, JB booth, and we're going to have Lady Jupes there grilling up foods, hopefully, some brats at the front of the line, and just having a great time. Hope to have the whole crew out there, and uh, it's going to be in October, October 20th through the 22nd at the Bellingham Technical College. It's a fantastic venue because it's a technical college. So when you go to a talk, that talk is in a classroom with like desks and a projector. And it's meant to hold like 30 people or something like that. And then they have venues. And then the town of Bellingham is a quintessential Pacific Northwest gem with just like a really quirky vibe and tons of places to eat and lots of great breweries. So you can just check all the boxes at Bellingham and uh, we'll be there. You know, our crew will be there with bells on, hanging out, probably doing after parties and whatnot, I imagine. I'm planning a very exciting road trip adventure. I'm 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 trying to find a way to get my golf over to the Pacific Northwest. <laughs> oh, man. I might oh, ship it, so I might great. drive it. I'll drive it. So we can go tear up some mountains. Do you remember was it twenty nineteen with uh Noah in that in that rental car? Yeah, mm. well, I remember uh, Wimpy and Popey in there. Oh muscle, yeah, that American yeah. muscle <laughs> Yeah, for sure. Was it a Mustang? No, I, it was a Charger. I think. Oh yeah, yeah. I think with the little yellow prongs on the front. Yeah, they really got themselves a great it's a good car. time. It's a good time. If you've never been to a true open source conference, the uh, Linux Fest Northwest for me is it is a real gem. Obviously, I made some connections personally that led to this show that you're listening to right now, uh, you know, with Chris and, and Brent and the Jupiter Broadcasting crew. Um, but I also made loads of friends outside of that, too, at Linux Fest. And, um, 
you just can't put a price on that human connection. And I don't think these days we really get enough of that. There's a lot of talk in, you know, IRCs and discords and listen to be IRC. We don't use IRC anymore. Who am I kidding? Anyway, there's lots of talk in various chat platforms, which is great, but we don't really interface that much in meet space these days. And Linux Fest Northwest really is for me, you know, a highlight and I'm super glad it's coming back. Uh, so we'll do a live lap, I believe, because that's going to be on the Sunday. I assume I'll stay for a few days and we'll do something in studio with SSH as well. Uh, maybe even some kind of a crazy Friday live stream, tequila powered live stream, perhaps. <laughs> I like that idea a lot. I think uh, I'd love to hear a, a talk led by Alex. Just yeah. going to put that out there. So pressure mm. him to see if he can come out with something. Oh, I did that last time, didn't I? Yeah. Yeah, he did. I like that talk. I think he could do another one. Oh, you don't need you to hear me some, talk. Who's, he, who wants to hear me talk about anything? Jeez. No, you're so for it. Jeez, you know what you could really, Alex, you could do a home assistant talk and just spend 90% of it giving a tour of your home assistant setup and talking about how you how you did it and what it does. People would love that. <sighs> Maybe. Because you could know. visually show it at a talk, you know I mean? Oh, yeah, using uh, Tailscale, I could just bring it right up. Yeah, yeah, yeah right there on the projector. So, I mean, I would watch that talk. I think I'd love that, actually. <laughs> I mean, I think Home Assistant's won the war since the last time, too, really. I mean, back then it was kind of a bit of an upstart, but now it's kind of... If you're not using Home Assistant, you're kind of holding it wrong. Right? Oh, you're going to get the uh, Hab guys so worked I up. know, I know. But I think you're right. I'm going to double down on what you just said and say plus one. They're really just kind of growing like crazy with hardware partners. They've hired some really good hires recently. You have to give them credit for hiring the people that work on the Z-Wave stuff, the ESB Home stuff. Um, they have somebody working now dedicated on voice, and they're doing the year of voice. They're really pushing things forward. And then, of course, they're on the front edge of matter integrating matter as that becomes more and more available. Uh, I, I like it. I like what they're doing. So, I mean, yeah, I agree. I think they have become the one to beat. Big question, though, is uh, I hear there was rumors of uh, grilling and brats in, at the fronts of the line and stuff. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's true. Although um, nothing uh, nothing yet totally locked in for that. One day. No, it's a way out, yeah. One day, one day. Yeah, we'll have it all figured out. We'll have it all figured out. I'm very excited. Oh, we should give the URL. We should let everybody know. That if you want to learn more, linuxfestnorthwest.org, and we'll give you an update as it gets closer. Yeah, we do need you, audience. Please don't just think somebody else is going to do it. Please spread the word of this conference and help us bring it back from the dead uh, and make it a huge success. Yeah, if you're going to be at scale, maybe mention it at scale. Spread the word at scale. Yes, please. So we finally decided to get our act together and move the servers out of the garage. If you couldn't believe it, it's finally happening. And we kind of did a little bit of a survey of the studio because it's it's a it's a house, and we tried to figure out where's the best place to put this. You know, it's you got a rack, you got a few systems on there. You need power, you need Ethernet, you need a good amount of power, you need a good amount of Ethernet. Cooling, and then there's cooling. The question is, where is the nearest cottonwood tree? Right, and yeah, you don't want any exposure to cottonwood. <laughs> so we looked at various locations and determined that upstairs, which is really the most residential area of the studio, but has my office, so it's already kind of used for work purposes. And we decided to put it upstairs where I just was basically had a CRT with a Super Nintendo for like some classic gaming. So it wasn't like vital space. It was just rad space. And uh, put Brent's custom built rack up there. And then you and Jeff proceeded to pull a bunch of Ethernet and power. And you seem to find a pretty, a pretty economical way to do it. Yeah, we quickly discovered that it didn't quite have the infrastructure we needed, but we knew with Jeff and I and many hours of work we could surely come up with something uh but jeff had a brilliant idea of instead of running new runs from the garage all the way to that area which is like you know a floor up and kind of convoluted to get there through a firewall and such he had the brilliant idea of pulling lines that was in your old office which is you know the bedroom next next to where the server is and and just kind of taking the lines out of the wall there and flipping them to the other side. And it so turned out that the distance was identical. So we are able to take those cat six lines, which you had some foresight there and running some good cables and just kind of gingerly rerunning them through the walls. We had to, well, I had to do a little bit of like insulation diving <laughs> and uh, put the respirator on. Gentle investigations. Did of you what bring to drill the bunny through. suit? Did you go pick up a bunny suit? You know, Jeff brought 
four bunny suits. Really? Yeah. One of them, Talk luckily. About coming prepared. That's incredible. Luckily, one of them was missized and fit me perfectly. <laughs> so it was Didn't fit him at all. I see. Okay. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Jeff is a tall guy, so not a lot of stuff does fit him. So it was actually, uh, well, it was, I say it was great because I actually, one of my favorite places in a home is the attic, not for living, but for discovering you know, what's in your home? How How is it well taken care of or not? What were the upgrades and such? It's fascinating up there. So I like being up there. Jeff, maybe he was up there for support, although he did spend quite a bit of time there. But um, so we got those lines run and it was great. And everything worked like we had a tester. We learned from Alex's experiences. You should test these things before you get out of your bunny suit. And uh, they worked great. So that was perfect. But then we realized that the plug that we kind of planned to use was connected to your office. And Chris, you've got a, quite a few things in your office. Oh, geez, it's such, you know, how, you know how it happens. You know, now I've got stuff running production in my office, which I swore I'd never do. And then I've got way too many monitors. And then I've got my laptop going. And I got a big speaker system going. And I got all kinds of lights because I got to be a fancy boy with my lights and my lava lamps and my LED cubes and all that kind of stuff. And so, um, you know, it's not a horrible draw, but it's enough that like if I add a space heater or um, maybe you want to run a portable air conditioner in the summer, I can trip the circuit and mm-hmm. I, can, I can pop the breaker. So it's just kind of at that threshold. So we did decide, well, maybe we could do something about that. So Jeff and I put on our second set of bunny suits and we ended up running some power to that corner and uh, pulling the power from a variety of places. Now we accidentally, you know turn the wrong breakers off or made our Bitcoin node go down. So it was adventurous and kind of hairy there for a bit. But in the end, we got loads of power run there, uh, which makes us feel good. It's on a circuit that's not overloaded by any means. And we have three runs of Ethernet through there, which is lovely. I mean, it's we're going to pass some data through there. So I think uh, in the end, we did pretty good. Yeah. And then combined with a new... Uh fan that Jeff installed that really moves some air, we can push a lot of air to kind of help keep that area a little cooler than it might have been before Jeff installed that fan. So all of it kind of comes together to make what seems like a pretty sustainable spot to run our servers. Yeah, it's 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 kind of at the head of my typical bed when I stay here yeah. at the studio. So now you've got a little server white noise. Yeah, it's on all the time, but it's fine. <laughs> it's fine. <laughs> Uh, Jeff also did manufacture, let's call it, and also install some sensors for you, didn't he? Yeah. Yeah. So now we have uh, five five ESP homes and combined with one that a listener sent six ESP homes throughout the studio that are measuring different areas, including the server space. So we can monitor specifically what the environmentals are. And of course, you know, those those are super accurate. So I get just great, precise data. It's so beautiful. Combined with the thermostat that Alex recommended that we have connected to Home Assistant now. It feels like we've just really took the smart level of the studio up to, up to a whole other level now. It's really nice. Before a listener asks, it's the Venstar T2000. It also goes by the name Explorer Mini, I think. Uh, it's a yeah, nice thermostat yeah. because it has a local API. So it mm-hmm. also connects to the cloud. So you can still use an app from your phone if Home Assistant is broken for whatever reason um, to control this thing through the cloud. But also there's a local only API. So you could actually use curl to control this thing if you really want to. Yeah. I asked Jeff and he said he didn't have to make a cloud account anywhere. He didn't have to do anything weird like that. And I think he did have to use their app perhaps to turn the API API on. But once it's on, you're good to go. And it was minutes to get it working in home assistant from there. He also mentioned to me that you can use the menu to do almost everything that you need. It is unbearable. It's a very clunky menu. And yeah, You'll want to get on the system pretty quick. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I would avoid that at all costs if you can. Nice work on the server relocation there, Brent. Uh, you sent me a picture afterwards, and there was a, an, a beautiful handmade wooden server rack with two or three, you know, one U servers in there, and, a U, and I think a UPS and stuff. But I noticed on on the screen on top. Uh oh, Chris, this is what uh, what OS are you running on that server there, Chris? <laughs> you, you know, you, you can't send Alex a photo of anything. And he, he notices just puts his peepers on. He, he, he's hooked his peepers on there, and he figured out we had something suspicious going on, didn't he? Mm-hmm. Well, um, so it's a weird situation yeah, because these is. were, uh, you know, <laughs> so how much can we say? <laughs> so there's an OS that I would not typically run on there. Uh, it is of the VMware variety. 
And uh, we left it on there for a minute to see what we thought. And I think I'm going to put Proxmox on there, ultimately. I wasn't talking about that one. Oh. I was talking about the tum- the tumbleweed one. Open Susie tumbleweed. Yeah. Sus- yeah. <laughs> on a server. Are you actually insane? Well- well, yes, obviously. And number number two, clearly. And number three, we did that as a LUP vote. The audience voted oh, for us for right. OS. Yeah. And uh, the thing is, honestly, that threw us sideways on these servers for <laughs> nine months. Yeah. Like, we just drug our feet because we didn't want to do that. And then we discovered Nick's OS, and it was just kind of like... Honestly, that's what I expected to see. That's why I zoomed in. And then I went... Open Susan Tumbleweed? What? <laughs> I know. I know. Well, it works pretty well for just running containers, I have to say. You know, that's, that's what it's been doing, and it gets the job done. But uh, I I dropped the hint to these guys that maybe they could just get NixOS going on there or Proxmox, but none of, none of them bit. Oh, so. I, I dare not touch that. I can't even I can't even keep, like, the power on in this place. <laughs> I didn't dare touch that stuff. We've got to save some projects for October, right? Now, Alex, I was really impressed by the network upgrades you did in last self-hosted. Thank you. How's it going? Because I know it's been, what, two weeks now? Is it going well, I would imagine? Well, uh, I would love to say that everything was absolutely peachy, but the day after the recording, it's almost like the network was listening. The day after the recording, the uh, 10 gig Cat 6A cable that I re-terminated two or three times and tested with the new tester, started flapping around again between one gig and 10 gig. Oh no, Alex. As soon as it did that, I was like, right, screw this. I am done. I am out. This is not the way to go. So I kind of uh, sucked it up and returned all the uh, Flex XGs, the the copper switches, and bought fiber gear. So did you, I just, I'd like to know just like the, the practicals here. Did you get the new stuff first and swap over and then send it back? Did you go to intermediary gear in between? Like how that? Like how do you just like swap out? Like how did you do that? Yeah, my Amazon return list this month is quite long. <laughs> oh, <laughs> They're going to ban you pretty soon. <laughs> now, Unify, frustratingly, even though it was an issue with getting the the equipment actually working, still charged me a fifteen percent restocking fee. So. Uh. On two $300 switches, that was not an in- insignificant amount of money. So anyway, what I ended up doing was going down the fiber route. So I ran a new pair of 50-meter uh, OM4 multi-mode fiber strands. These things are absolutely magical. They're plugged in at both ends to two Unify aggregation switches. So these are eight-port 10-gig switches. And then I've got a couple of SFP cables going into both of my PoE switches, both in the basement and upstairs. Um, So I've got two gigabits worth of uh, link aggregated bandwidth between the 10 gig switch and all of my like gigabit devices, like my cameras and Wi-Fi access points and that kind of thing, uh, both in both ends. There's a picture in the show notes if you want to visualize what I'm talking about a little bit, (laughs) because trust me, even as the network admin, there's a lot going on. Yeah, this is beautiful, though. I love that you did yet another network diagram. <laughs> yeah, yeah. A huge thanks again to Poverty Panda. That poor guy has just been my sounding board for what feels like the last three years trying to get this project finished. But I, you know, I've, I've taken the advice of many audience members and I ran Conduit and I ran the fiber through Conduit so that uh, it was nice and safe because I understand it's quite fragile in comparison to Ethernet cable. I didn't have any issues pulling it um, at all. It was perfectly strong. I had some fish rods, some metal fish rods, and the electrical taped and fished it through that way, and it was absolutely fine. So I used the one-inch Schedule 40 conduit that you can get from Home Depot. Uh, so it's about one-inch diameter, and you can get little boxes, like junction boxes and that kind of thing. Uh, drilled a few holes in the house and woke the baby up uh, a couple of times. That was not flavor of the month, but, you know, sometimes. This is a real project. You did, like... I did it properly. Yeah, you did conduit, you're drilling holes, you're routing stuff. Like, you're building this to last, which takes time, Alex. Like, Yeah, and there was a lot to learn, too, because the reason I didn't do fiber the first time around was because, A, it's a little bit more expensive, probably 10 to 20% more expensive than sticking with copper, that's actually not so bad. I thought it was going to be like 50. Me too, yeah. It isn't that bad. Um, and the reason is primarily that the transceivers that you need on either end, so 
if you're not familiar with fiber there's a whole like world of stuff you've got to figure out and understand you have the switch and then that switch has a little uh, rectangular hole in it where you need to put in a transceiver and that speaks to the switch through a little what looks like a little pci almost kind of connector like four or five six like, little copper pins that go into like a port inside the switch that then converts the signal into either light to go down a fiber optic cable and you can get transceivers at different speeds so you can get one one gig 10 25 40 and 100 gig transceivers all of which are rated over a certain distance so anything under 300 meters is pretty much table stakes for fiber you can go kilometers which is what obviously isps do with fiber using um single mode fiber so what I elected to do was use multi-mode fiber in the house, uh, OM4, I think I said already, uh, LC to LC connectors. There's a really nice little click as it clicks into the switch, so you know it's registered really nicely. Now, Alex, considering all this gear, because it sounds like you have to kind of really pay attention, did you get it all right? Uh, I, I did, except my supplier didn't get it all right. And this is actually oh. thanks to Poverty Panda <laughs> helping me, like saying, am I ordering the right gear? And he was like, yes, because he's done it a million times before. That's super helpful. What was frustrating was I had three boxes of 10 gig transceivers arrive. So they, are, they come in um, boxed pairs. I installed the first two pairs and I got 10 gig link between the basement and the uh, the attic just fine on the aggregation. So that was fine. And then between my MacBook, I bought a Thunderbolt 10 gig SFP plus Ethernet. Well, not Ethernet, fiber, SFP plus adapter. Uh, that came with a transceiver in it. Uh, and so I just took one of the remaining pairs and, and stuffed it into the, the aggregation switch. And I was only getting gigabit. And I'm like, uh-oh what's going on here and so then i took i took the other 10 what i thought was a 10 gig transceiver out of the packet and put it into the sfp uh solo 10g adapter i've got here and i was getting gigabit and i'm like oh what is going on? that must have been so worrying after you just made all these upgrades right. well the nice thing was it was my laptop right so i could take it physically to the server room the, the server closet and plug it in with a two meter cable so that it wasn't distance related and then I just noticed on the side of the transceiver, it said 1G. And then I looked at the other transceivers and they all said 10G. And I'm like, well, there we go. There's the problem. Yeah. They just mis sent me, uh, apparently Unified sent them a bad batch with a, you know, a box with, anyway, the, the boxes look identical apart from where it says 1G and 10G. <laughs> it's just that crappy one gig stuff. Yeah. Well, <laughs> wow. anyway. Uh, that was, that was fun. I didn't even tell you last week about the copper 10 gig card that I got off eBay with a bad bearing and a fan that didn't work. And sometimes oh it showed goodness. up in Linux. Sometimes it didn't. Oh, it's just been oh. a comedy of errors really has. Yeah. Well, you're working on a lot of pieces at once. So there's so many things going on there. Yeah. Now I've been posting to Twitter all week and, uh, Mastodon as well. I built two new custom server racks, um, little app, just out of plywood, nothing super fancy. And I put bought a couple of these, what are called gator rails. Um, they're made of really thick, solid steel, and they have threaded inserts so that you can you don't need cage nuts for these things. So you can just screw basically directly into the rails, and it's for network gear that's not heavy uh, like a server would be. It's absolutely perfect. It's all you need. Yeah, that was a really, really nice, to-the-point build. I really like that. It's a great example of why I wish I had better woodworking skills because you can just purpose build that kind of stuff. Well, I mean, I could have spent two, three hundred dollars on metal racks that wouldn't quite have fitted my space. Like in my in my closet behind me in the bonus room, space is really limited because I've got you know this this uh, sort of like attic ceiling going on where the front of the house is. So I've only got a few inch, like uh, ten or twelve inches worth of space, which isn't a lot to put six U in. Okay, well, there's an obvious question. I mean, that we haven't even touched on like the elephant in the room, actually. So you did all this damn work. How's the performance? Are you happy with the performance? Are the results what you expected? Did they exceed or undershoot your expectations? I mean, that's what I want to know. It is absolutely glorious. Oh, good, 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 Things good. have never been more reliable. Things have never felt this snappy. And, and performance, I'm getting 10 gig all day, all night, 
the 20 well the 20 gig <laughs> aggregation between yeah, it's, it's just fabulous wow all right good so you can you can notice it you tell you can tell if anybody's thinking about going 10 gig and thinking oh copper will be fine just spend just that little bit extra even if it means you have to wait a few months just spend that little bit extra learn a little bit more about fiber because i do think it will be the future one day even if it's not right now for everybody and just go fiber these cables will be good for up to 100 gig depending on the transceivers i have on the end i'm never ever in my lifetime this is a bill gates moment going to exceed <laughs> that kind of bandwidth certainly not when it's 200 gigabit you know aggregated between the 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 spaces in my house so it's one upgrade that i had to really bend over backwards to do properly but it's done and it will never have to be done again <laughs> i had a very kind offer from fuzzy misborn one of our regular listeners who's actually in the live stream chat right now saying hey alex i've got a really old small form factor pc do you want it and of course you said no i hate hardware i never have anything to use this hardware for don't send it to me that's that's exactly <laughs> what i would have said if i was a, a sane and rational man that didn't already have 20 computers in the house right but there's always room for one more <laughs> there's always room for one more right <laughs> so he sent me an hp prodesk 600 g1 this thing's got a fourth gen i3 cpu in it and what's interesting about this is it's it's plenty right now it's running my home assistant uh, instance so i've got it i've taken home assistant out of being a vm you know i've been doing so much maintenance on the server swapping in and out network cards and all that kind of stuff um i never by the way said in the last segment i'm using melanox connect x3 nicks and they're about 30 bucks a pop on ebay each so you get a 20 dollar transceiver a 30 dollar nick off ebay and then you've got a 10 gig card for your linux server anyway the uh HP ProDesk is a really nice little box. It's, um, I don't know, it's about the size of, how big are these things? Two or three CD cases plus a bit? Like It looks like aging a, yourself. It there. looks like a wise terminal almost. It's just tiny. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's about the size of one of those thin client. Yeah. But that's exactly what they're designed to be, to bolt onto the back of a screen or something in an office. Mm, okay. And this thing is pretty cool. It's uh, It runs very quietly it takes up almost no room performance for home assistant is great so i thought you know let's run it through its paces let's look at the energy usage because that's obviously for an always on box quite important this thing draws anywhere from 15 to 20 watts at idle and under a peak load using stui and stress i managed to get it to go all the way up to 47 watts hmm. idle could be a bit better but uh under load is you know yeah it's a fourth gen t cpu so it's capped boy i mean the for the price like i'm looking at like their nicer spec one here it's 289 bucks shipped well here's the thing so i then got bitten by the small form factor bug i've been looking at oh. the serve the home tiny mini micro series for the last year or two. Oh, i'm sorry this you bought one of these he sent you a pro desk i see he he sent me an old one of his old systems and because I liked it, the form factor so much, and it would fit in one of these nice new network racks. I, you, I know, right? See, this is how it, it's like. It's an x86 box, but it's like the power draw of a, around an arm machine. It's too tempting, isn't it? Well, this this next one that I bought was a Dell MFF 7050. Okay. I actually ended up buying two of these because the deal was so good. Dellrefurbished.com had a 50% off coupon on these things. So you're sat over there saying 289 is a good price. If you put the coupon code in, and there's no affiliation here, this is just something I found on Slick Deals. Uh, if you put the coupon code in 7050 Dell4U on a Optiplex 7050 into the Dellrefurbished.com website, you'll get that thing shipped to your door for 138 bucks. Jeez, I don't even need one and I want to do that. Yep right that's a great deal and there's room inside for a two and a half inch hard drive as well so i had a, an old sata ssd in a drawer that was gathering dust so i threw that in there so now i'm going to use one of these to run things like my pi hole other critical server you know dns stuff unify controller i'm going to put influx db on there so that all of my data collation is now centralized in one kind of critical box mm-hmm I'll then plug that into the Pi KVM switch I talked about in the last episode. Link to that blog post in the show notes. Uh, but the nice thing about these 7050s is because they're sixth gen CPUs, they use seven watts at idle. So by comparison, 
The fourth gen uses about double that, 15 to 20 watts. This sixth gen uses seven. Uh, at peak, I can push it up to about 65, but I'm almost never going to be doing anything CPU intensive on, on these boxes. So I'll have two that are the same, one running Home Assistant, one running Proxmox that's also got a bunch of LXC, you know, network critical services on it. Remember when you used to give me a hard time about having like four or five Raspberry Pis, <laughs> and now I'm setting up like big Dell rack servers and centralizing on big servers, and you're going with a bunch of little x86 boxes. What's going on? Yeah, man. It's, you know, self-hosting's a journey, and I, I think one of the things we try and do on this show is just chronicling how there isn't one right way to do everything. I mean, you're running tumbleweed over there, so I mean, you better watch your mouth. You can't listen to me. I don't know <laughs> what I'm talking about. Well, and it sounds like to me that you kind of, you know, we each come to our self-hosted journey at a different point. So, you know, some people might come into it in the small form factor or start with pies or just an old computer that you happen to have. Some people might just want to start at a totally different end and start with a giant, you know, used server or something like that. So well, that's exactly what I did. When I emigrated, I built a massive 256 gig of RAM dual Xeon box that pulled 300 watts from the wall. And I had a great time and I was super happy. But the downside of doing, I guess, what you'd call a hyper-converged box like that is when you want to take it down for maintenance, you know, we want to put a new hard drive in, you want to upgrade the RAM, there's some kind of an issue with the NIC. Everything on all of your services go down. As my self-hosting journey has kind of progressed, I've become really reliant on several of these services like Home Assistant, like Pi-Hole now, we've talked about that, and Unify Controllers, and these things... I need these things to be stable and reliable and just having them on all on the same box. The risk is too much. I agree. I'd like to have my pie hole on its own dedicated hardware. I think I might go the route of an Odroid, but you're kind of winning me over with these Dells. That's a fantastic deal. You know, the thing about the Odroids is, and they, they, they do look great. And I know you're very happy with yours. The case selection for the Odroids. Yeah. Oh, it's, it's rough. Stinks. It's rough. Yeah. Are you saying you're going to design and print a new one for us? Yeah, that's what we need, Alex. I could do, yeah. but honestly, I I was I was trying to hold off spending any more money because you know I've already given half of my last paycheck to fripping Unify, you know, <laughs> and then this this deal came up on these on these Dell boxes, and I was like, you know, hundred and thirty dollars, hundred and forty dollars shipped, like that's just too good to ignore, and it's going to solve a lot of issues for me, and it arrives in a couple of days with FedEx, you know, and what's interesting is it looks like FedEx get these boxes into their supply chain because on on the, on a sticker on the bottom of the box, it says refurbished by FedEx supply chain. So it doesn't even look like Dell see these boxes physically after they come back from wherever they've been recycled from. That's a complicated deal. That's fascinating. You cannot, you got to imagine. So next on the list uh, is, you know, I'm going to replace my OpenSense build. We talked a little bit last time about how layer two versus layer three and VLAN routing can be a bit of a bottleneck uh, if you don't have any layer three switches, which I don't. So I will be building a, there was a, a post on Reddit just this week about a Lenovo M720Q OpenSense firewall in the making. And this thing has room for a PCIe card. So what this person has done is they've they've got one of these you know one liter really small chassis and they put a dual port SFP plus NIC in there and so they're running OpenSense with two 10 gig fiber NICs so that would take care of any inter VLAN routing that wow. I need. No kidding, boy, that would make my Starlink connection run really fast, Alex. Don't you think? Uh, yeah, yeah. I hope you're not conflating <laughs> Wi-Fi with the internet there, but yeah, No, sure. Alex, don't you think? Let's go with that. I think I got to go 10 gig. Yeah, no, I think I'm totally, that'll make it better. Now in the news today, I came across a Home Assistant CVE. Did you see this? Yeah. Yeah, we've had it sent in a couple of times too, because you know, the audience is out there, they're watching this kind of stuff. And it looks like it's actually a rather significant one because it exposes the supervisor API. <sighs> Which lets you do all kinds of things like, you know, snapshots, take things offline, back things up and grab the file. It's a really big deal. Supervisor is their equivalent of System D, isn't it? It's their, it's their grand central dispatch. It's like every, <laughs> right. everything that is at the core of the Home Assistant OS. Yeah, so it's orchestrating all the containers and the snapshots and upgrades. And so for that to see a vulnerability that's been 
hanging out in the open, as they say, since 2017 is quite alarming, to be honest with you. Mm. Uh, and it makes me think you were right all along, Chris, not to trust their OS. I, I know you've you've held that opinion for a long time. Well, it's just a really complicated thing to do, right? So anytime you invent a system to manage a bunch of containers or you create your own OS, that's you're taking on things that corporations like Microsoft and Red Hat and Oracle and IBM have been trying to solve for decades. And it's just a really complicated, hard problem. And if you keep it lean, mean, and focused, you know, it's a little more doable. But uh, yeah, in this case, it, it, it particularly impacts all of us who are using like the all-in home assistant solution. If you're using their OS and their super, or you're just using their supervised setup, instead of just doing how I originally deployed home assistant, which was, I just deployed the container and it was fine. It wasn't a big deal. You know, it's just, it worked fine. Uh, and then I wanted all the fancy stuff like hacks and the add on store. And I wanted, I wanted the supervised backups. I wanted that too. Yeah. That is where it gets you. It's, I must say it's, it has been nice this month whilst I've, I've moved home assistant around a few times. Uh, I ran it on a home assistant yellow for two or three weeks, which a listener sent me poverty panda boy poverty panda is the hero of the show uh, this he week. is he's been uh, the mvp of the last month of he's, yeah he's kept me sane so thank you very much sir uh so I, i've been using home assistant i ran it as a vm for many years on top of proximox but whilst i was screwing around with all these nicks and stuff it just got to me that home assistant was down all the time so i put it on a dedicated piece of hardware and decided actually i really like that yeah, I've moved it off the Home Assistant Yellow only because the ESP Home compilation, and I've got about 20 or 30 devices to update whenever there's an update, was really, really slow on the Pi. Sure, I bet, yeah. Even on the fourth gen Intel, it's, you know, much faster. So you're telling me this is going to be a problem that I'm going to have? Uh, well, if you've got 20 or 30 devices, perhaps, yeah. <laughs> uh, no. But I mean, we all know that the Pi isn't a powerhouse. Doesn't that's not a surprise to anybody? I actually measured the power draw of the of the Home Assistant Yellow, and it's two watts at idle. I mean, you just can't wow. beat that for a. That's lot of so stuff. great. Yeah, especially when power draw is one of the major that's, factors. That's for like you. light bulb level stuff, even with LEDs. Yeah, that's really awesome. It's not, you know, it's two watts. It's not seven. It's not twenty. I mean, it it's fantastic, but. Uh, going back to the CVE briefly, when I was doing the research for today's show, I was pleased to see that there is a, a real CVE database entry added for this vulnerability. Uh, so there'll be a link to that in the show notes. Uh, we got some great feedback into self-hosted mailbox. Thanks for that. This week uh, from Bart. They write, hey guys, further to Chris's requirement to enforce kids' internet hours, mm. I built a LAMP-based system that pretty much does that. My kids have grown up a wee while ago, so the project is abandoned now and ready for some spare parts. It's based on <laughs> a redirecting DHCP and default gateway and some IP tables foo to direct devices based on Mac address right. to a squid server running a simple redirect, which made every page into a picture of a kitten telling them to go to bed. <laughs> How's that for evil? That's hilarious. How wonderful is this? That is so hilarious. Go to bed. Oh, as a kid, that would be so infuriating, wouldn't it? Oh, yeah. It's deliciously evil. I love it. Good job, Bart. I also got some tips, you know, just using a little bit of cron on the pie hole and things like that as, you know, another hot tip. So I appreciate everybody. Sending in ideas. Did you know you can also set in Unify uh, time-based SSIDs that turn off and on based on certain time? So you can have the kids' devices on their own dedicated network that literally shuts off at 8 p.m. or whatever. Boy, I've been trying to resist the Unify poll so, so hard. <laughs> just Alex felt, isn't helping. I know. I just felt like it'd be good like to have one of us be like a non-Unify guy. And I'm like the non- Oh, I'm sorry. I, I thought you already had one. I'm, I won't. Well, no, I do. I do have a couple of Unifies here in the studio, but they just run. You know, I don't like, I don't have like the controller set up. I'm not like in the ecosystem. I was trying to get those TP-Link OMADs to work. And then I had all those devices with my Wi-Fi smart devices. Ironically, my TP-Link smart devices. So perhaps I will get pulled to the uh, unified dark side. Part two of Bart's feedback this week was talking about cable testers, and he came across PocketEthernet.com. This thing looks super duper cool. This is a smartphone connected Ethernet network analyzer, and it fits into your pocket. I could have done with this thing during my network projects of the last few weeks. So <laughs> yeah. thank you very much for sending this in. It looks very very interesting. Yeah, I think that's a a tricky URL. So it's pocket 
Thurnet. It's kind of two words mashed together. So you can figure that out. You get a little prize at the end of the tunnel. You know, we could just link it and we could just grab the link. Oh, and is that a thing that we, we do? could do that? Oh, okay. Okay. We have the means. We got some boosts into the show. We'll read some of the top boosts that came in this week. The hotel guy boosted in with 132,222 sats. Ho, 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 King Ducks. Hello from the UK. Longtime listener, first time booster. Here's my origin story. I started listening after Alex was on the Home Assistant podcast. Uh, hey. Wow, that was a long time ago now. Yeah, it was. Maybe they should have you back on, Alex. Maybe. You know? Lord knows I've shilled for Home Assistant enough on this show. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, let's do it somewhere else now. Since then, I subscribed to everything, um, along with uh, the Joe shows and the Jupiter.Party member as well. Hey, thank you, the hotel guy. Thought my first boost should be to the show that hooked me to the network. I was going to do this for episode 100, but who has the patience? Keep up the work, the great work, he says. Uh, JB Team's incredible content production and community. Anthony. Oh. Well, thank you. Thank you, sir. Hotel guy. The hotel guy feels like it has a story behind that username. I hope things over in the UK are okay right now. I understand it's a bit chilly and there's a little bit of snow in the south. So, it, you know, shut down the entire country. I know it's a, it's a rough time right now. Myself and the Canadians in the chat room are just kind of yeah, laughing. laughing. They're just laughing. Yeah. I mean, I think they oh. had they had a, a centimeter or two of snow, and London oh. was shut down. Oh, we've been panicking on the West Coast for like the last week. Because, California too. Yeah. Oh, big time, big time. Getting super hyped about the snow over here, and it's just not <laughs> that. I mean, there's some snow, but it's still, not that bad. And still sending love. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, we got. Uh, I think it's Jelmer. I'm going to say Jelmer boosted in with 12,345 sats saying, keep up the great work. You helped me a great deal to manage my home server. I'm currently running Ubuntu, but run into issues of not remembering how I set stuff up years ago. So I think I want to start from scratch with Ansible. Thanks to you. You love to hear it. That's the way to do it, isn't it? Nix is also a little interesting if you want to go that crazy route. Why not both? Oh, one apple. One of these days, I will convince one of my co-hosts this evening that Ansible is the way to go. I can't promise I you which one it will be, but one of these days, one of you two will see the light. <laughs> I think it's. I think it will happen. No, I don't disagree at all. I could see the advantage of it, especially for the JB infrastructure. I've tried writing code for Brent, and it still didn't stick. So, I mean, <laughs> what can we do? Well, hang on, I'm <laughs> part way into building a new thing that's mostly shut down all the time, but I'm gonna get there. Oh. I swear you said that a year ago. Yeah. Yeah, it's been yeah. better, yeah. And the year before <laughs> that, too. Well, uh, I, it's the primary way that you and I stay in connection. It's yeah, like, there you go. If he did yeah, it all, he yeah. wouldn't have anything to chat with you about. Oh, He's well, doing it for you. That's definitely not true. We'd, we'd be waxing, <laughs> lyrical, waxing lyrical about Gavin Harrison, if nothing else. Oh. Uh, Bob B comes in with 3,000 sets. Says, hey, guys, I do the SRE thing, but I wanted to do a test boost through Albi and my home Lightning node. Nice. Well done, Bob. I managed to send one to the Bitcoin dad pod last night. But when I tried the second one, it wouldn't go through. Let's see if this one makes it. So the whole like getting that thing set up and doing the whole self-hosted aspect of building all that infrastructure does feel amazing, Bob. So congratulations. You did it. I would like to get a follow up on, uh, Bob, how you managed to do that. What did you use? Did you use Umbral? Did you use, I don't know. Right. Nick's bit, bit, what is it called? Nick's Bitcoin. I yeah. mean, there's, but there's like Umbral is one, but yeah, there's Citadel, there's Start Nine, there's so many ways. Or you could really just put it on any box that, you know, can run a container. You don't got to do nothing fancy. You don't got to make a big deal about it. Sorry. You know what I'm saying? Um, user 3508 probably didn't set their uh, usernames. 25, I'm sorry, 25, yeah, 25,000 sats. Chris and numbers tonight. It's not working. They write, love the show. Uh, I love that you keep my own self hosting projects Q full. <laughs> Ah, cheers. Yeah, yeah, I know that one. And then I love this one. Faraday Fedora came in with just 404 sats, but they wanted to know, because we got this one a couple of times, Alex. Do you mind sharing what cable analyzer you bought recently? It was the Klein Tools VDV 526-200 Landscout Junior 2 Ethernet cable tester. That's a really quick and snappy model number there. Yeah, that's easy to remember, right? Just rolls right off the tongue. No problem at all. Yeah, where do these product designers get these names from? I mean, what's wrong with saying Klein Cable Tester 1, 2? Like, I know. BMW have it right, the M1, the M2, the M3. Like you, know, well, Simple. You know which one is, you know, I mean, they, they're actually not 
necessarily better than the next one. They all serve different classes, but you kind of know what I'm saying, right? Just one, two, three, four, five. We have a system. Use it. Then Alex, after what? It's been oh, two weeks since you've had the cable tester. Uh, any further review on this thing? Hmm. Well, I like the cable tester for Ethernet, but I'm a fiber guy now, so I need a $20,000 fiber tester next, right? Mm-hmm. You can't right. just plug in an SFP into that, baby? I wonder if Fluke just has like a like a lease program direct. You know, you could just start lo- leasing that stuff from Fluke. <laughs> I would genuinely <laughs> like to rent one for just a month. Yeah. And just, you know, with the Ethernet issues that I had, I you know, in the last couple of weeks, I've gone through and re-terminated every single keystone jack in the entire house uh, all all the punch like everything and i think that might be contributing to why everything's better than ever but uh i just just punching it down and then hoping doesn't feel like the best strategy to me i think we could have a, like a self-hosted show lending library for network equipment oh that would be particularly for testing gear that you need once for a week every three years you know that would be that would be wonderful I'm still just trying to picture what a madhouse it must have been for you going through, trying to get all that done. Just that's a ton of work. Boxes everywhere and trying to keep track of uh, what was going back to which retailer. It was actually a nightmare. I had my Obsidian notes over the last couple of weeks have been insane. Well, I have a uh, maybe a finishing question for you, Alex. So you went through the process and you're where you are now. It sounds like you're happy. If someone was thinking taking on that journey similar to what you did would you recommend doing it exactly how you did or a slightly different way would you suggest maybe getting a tester before you need it well i'm delighted with the results you know if if you're thinking about going 10 gig because gigabit is kind of easy it doesn't need all the pairs in ethernet cable we talked a little bit about that last time 10 gig over copper just seems like it's not a good idea it runs really hot seems quite unstable even despite re-terminating things and doing it properly and using actually pre-terminated cables, etc., My takeaway from it is probably anything above two and a half gig, I would just I'd pay the tax and go fiber and then never worry about it ever again. Mm. Yeah, boy. All right, Brent, let's pull all this uh, Cat 6 out. Yeah, it's old stuff. Let's anyways. go fiber. Let's do, let's do all you hear. You got, what, you got? Well, you're leaving like 12, what, 12 hours. hours? Yeah. You got plenty of time. This is our thing. Anyways, this is, this is really, really the power zone of the Brent projects. You know, last year around this time, uh, the thing we stayed up till 4 a.m. building was that server rack. And we're still using it today. It looks great. I do remember, Brent, the day you were leaving to go back to the airport, we were working on my deck literally until the minute you had to leave to go to the sounds, airport. Yep. The sounds, airport's nice and close. It's fine. Yeah. <laughs> what could go wrong? It'll just take 10 minutes. What could go wrong? Well, if you'd like to send a boost into the show, I, I think the easiest way now is to get Alby, getalby.com, go to the podcast index, search up self-hostable, we'll put a link in the notes, boost in from there. You can go to meetup.com slash Jupiter Broadcasting for all of our upcoming meetups. Uh, hopefully you'll catch one soon. I'm considering doing one in the Raleigh area. It'll probably be fairly low key for episode 100. I think we'll save the big shenanigans for Linux Fest Northwest. Uh, there's a lot going on with the network at the moment, so I think we'll we'll just keep it low-key. But it might be in Raleigh, it might be small, it might be big. Who knows? Keep an eye on the meetup page. You can go to selfhosted.show slash contact for all the ways to get in touch with us. The show is on the Twitters. If you're still doing the Twitters, no judgment, at selfhostedshow. There's Masto links. Of course, there's the Discord at selfhosted.show slash Discord. And then the fully self-hosted Matrix instance at jupiterbroadcasting.com slash matrix. Thanks for listening. That was selfhosted.show slash 92. So we've been doing a lot of car work. We basically call it the Jupiter Garage. You come over and you work on the studio, we'll work on your car. And uh, to make it even more feasible, we've improved the lighting out there. And Brent's currently in the process of doing that. We've cleaned up the area to make it fit the car. And we've created a little workspace with a desk for current project stuff that is going on out there. It's really coming along, but it's, missing something you know what i mean alex it's really it's missing something are you talking about a car lift yeah i'm talking about a car lift (laughs) (laughs) it'd be so great crawling around on your ass on a cold concrete floor just you know men of our age it's just not it's just not uh it's not the way to go my knees start complaining after about 15 minutes i tell you knee pads is the way to go i gotta get knee pads i do think you know just a simple thing like a brake job would be Honestly, a hundred times easier, even if the car was just a foot higher. 
because you know I've got a bit of a, a bit of a gut, and then, you know, it kind of gets in the way sometimes when I'm bending over down there. You know what I'm talking about, Brent? Get it above the gut. <laughs> yeah. You now, know, that, now that you're mentioning all this, I noticed that I was the one going under all the cars. Yeah, ah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. There's also because we were using the Canadian redneck way to jack the cars up. Wh- so. Which which one? <laughs> All of them. Every car we jacked up, we used the Canadian redneck method to support the car. <laughs> and I got three kids, man. <laughs> you know, the funny part was that, Chris, you had some forethought and mm. bought these nice ramps, ramps that yeah. you can drive the car Which onto. works great for my Volvo. Yeah. And then, you know, it didn't work so well, let's just say, for my car, which is a, uh, well, it's not a Matrix. It's a Pontiac Vibe. Yeah, but it's kind of got the same kind of long front. Mm-hmm. You got a bit of a nose on that thing, and it, it hits the ramps before the tires. The nose of the car starts rubbing up on the ramps before the tires even make it. Luckily, we noticed that before trashing my bumper yet another time on, yeah. on a trip to JB. So what we did instead, because you didn't have any jack stands, was we used the ramps as jack stands, and then they worked great. Yeah, with some some wood on there. Jack the thing up, slide the ramp under, lower it onto the uh, ramp. Well, see, the thing about jack stands is you you got to get some, you know, because if you want to take the wheels off mm-hmm. on a tire ramp, it's no good. So I've put a link in our Slack in the background so that you can see. There's a couple of things. The the max jack, which I'll come on to in a minute, is, is where I want to go one day eventually. Mm-hmm. But uh, if you, you know, it could be tempting to go to Harbour Freight and look at the, you know, the three-ton Pittsburgh jack they have that isn't like a hundred bucks or something. I mean, it's not, it's not too expensive. Because you have the Golf, which is a unibody chassis, I would recommend actually getting this power-built Kilimanjaro two-ton U-jack. Okay. And the reason is this has a bit of a wider jaw at the front. Mm. So you can put, you can put the jack stand in between so you can jack it up and then slide the jack stand underneath the jack whilst it's still holding the car that's so cool that's brilliant and then load the car down gently onto the pinch weld that's really nice so you just got to make sure you don't get a jack stand that's wider than that yeah which any three ton jack stand should be fine um for that Mm. it's a little more pricey it's about 200 bucks versus 100 for the you know the harbor freight special but the fact that you don't have to play that kind of teeter-totter with your car on you know one corner is is worth it for me totally it's also the kind of thing you tend to buy once and it stays in your garage and you use it for well now i've got two jacks so when i get a new piece of woodworking equipment i can actually lift it off the pallet with both of them oh gosh (laughs) so um you know uh of course the sweet 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 solution would be a lift yeah so i've put a link in the uh show notes to something called Max Jacks. This thing, I mean, there's there's a, another one you can buy at Costco called a Quick Jack, which actually looks pretty sweet as well, which kind of sort of uses hydraulic pressure to sort of lift the car up sort of back on itself. But where mm-hmm. you really want to go is a two-post lift or a four-post lift, something like that. And this Max Jacks one is really cool. You put some, what are they called, like nuts in, in your concrete, recessed nuts in the floor, and then you bolt these jacks into the concrete. And as long as the con- concrete has a high enough PSI rating, you can actually install these this lift and then remove this lift as if it was never there, which for a multi-purpose space like a residential garage is so choice. Yeah, it'll do 7,000 pounds. It's going to be pretty much all your vehicles, right? So you know, I am hesitating heavily with this suggested upgrade. Only, <laughs> only in the sense that well, okay. So my first job was I had a garage, and I saw all sorts of cars going up and down. It was awesome. Do they have? Do they play the guitar every time they brought the? Yeah, yeah. Like the yeah, car wizard. They're very musical. You ever watch the car wizard, Alex? And every time he raises the cars up, he just has like this YouTube royalty-free guitar riff that he plays. That's sometimes it takes thirty seconds. Sometimes it takes three minutes for those cars to go up. It takes as long as it guitar riff plays as long as it takes. You know, this garage was interesting because they had a really old lift that had like this massive tank underground it was this ancient thing it was crazy how that thing worked but anyways i i think it would be worth investigating what kind of support you need for these because i know it says it lifts seven thousand pounds and that's quite a lot it's not what typical garage pads were made of so you you might be tempted Mm. to pour a new like slab section yeah that is quite a bit thicker for just the post on either side of the car Mm. i think that would be worth looking into 
they do mention in their documentation about a certain PSI rating for the concrete that's required because obviously you're you're putting all of that load through two mm-hmm. two specific spots. Yeah. Yeah, but a PSI rating for concrete doesn't doesn't necessarily suggest a thickness either, you know. I think clearly what you need is a pit. Uh, uh, say more? Yeah, no, he needs a pit. He needs to just cut a hole out, dig down, yeah, yeah. build out a whole shop down there. Think about it, Alex. If you if you went the route of the pit, you could basically have all your tools down there. So it's also like storage for all your stuff. And then you're just working down there. You got everything. You got shelves. You got lights. You got you got a mat down there. And you're not lifting anything. All the oil change places do it. Yeah, I think you need a pit, not a, not a lift. And then every time they go down there, I have to shout, aisle three, oil change complete. <laughs> <laughs> the wife and kid come, where's, where's dad? Oh, he's in the pit again. Yeah. The pit of despair. Oh, man. If you got a lift or a pit. God, that would be so great. Well, you can just send the send the Brent down if you don't have either. I would like to build a, an outbuilding in my backyard. And the way my site is sloped, I was hoping to kind of get the, the garage down and have like a 12 or, or 14 foot ceiling. So I've actually got room to put the car all the way up and then have a, you know, a space above for my drums and, and that kind of stuff. It's kind of soundproof. But we had some architects over a couple of weeks ago to sort of talk through feasibility of it. And they want to charge like $350 a square foot, <laughs> which for a garage seems absolutely outrageous to me. Does that include the landscaping? Uh, I, I don't know. But I mean, let's just say a 750 square foot building, you're looking at quarter of a million dollars for a garage. <laughs> I mean, I yeah. brain could do it for half that. <laughs> I've asked him. I have suggested it to him. <laughs> that feels like... Quite the undertaking. You know, you just, well, you, you bring your brother down, you guys just bang it out, you know? Yeah, it'll take, how I think, hard, four days. How hard could it be? Be like, you know, get it done in like 10 minutes. Paying board and lodging for two Brents for uh, you know. a couple of months would be a lot less than a quarter of a meal, I'll tell you that. I, well, that's true. Yeah. I wonder which one eats more. Yeah, it's the food you got to worry about. Because <laughs> this one eats a lot. I, I got that covered, baby. 